We are in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. We're preaching the whole way through the book of Ephesians. This is, I believe, sermon number 10 in this series on Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to turn to Ephesians 4. We'll be in that passage our entire time together today, so uh, feel free to open your Bibles there. Verse 7, it says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is the word of the Lord today. I love this passage. There's so much good stuff in here that I'm excited to talk about. But I want to give you, so that you don't lose track of where we're at or where we're going, I want to give you the overarching theme, the main point that I want to draw out of this passage is the first thing that you see on your handout. It is this. Jesus gives gifts to his people so that we will all grow into maturity as part of his body. That, and at the end of the day, that's what I want to say to you today. That Jesus gives gifts to his people so that we will all grow into maturity as part of his body. Everything I'm going to say is, is an attempt to support that and, and to drive that home and help you understand how important this is for understanding what it means for us as believers of Christ that Jesus gives us gifts so that we will all grow into maturity as part of his body. That's what I want to talk about today. Okay, to do that, I've got several subpoints. then. The first one is that gifts are an act of grace given to every believer. These gifts that we're talking about are acts of grace given to every believer. When we talk about gifts, we're talking about abilities. Sometimes the, the gifts it, it, that are described in the New Testament are fairly supernatural in nature. Other times they're, they're very common, the, similar to what we might call abilities, Things that we're good at, things that we just have a knack for, things, things that sort of come naturally to us. I believe that whether supernatural or seemingly more natural, that, that God has, as an act of grace, given gifts and abilities to every believer. They, they aren't necessarily superpowers. It's not like some of us can see through walls and some of us can, can lift unnaturally heavy things or anything like that. It's that we have the ability to do the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do for the building up of the body that we would all grow into maturity. This means that oftentimes 
we as believers don't even know what our gifts are. It's not uncommon to be unaware of the unique ways in which God has gifted you. And so there's some effort involved in discovering and uncovering the ways that the Holy Spirit has gifted you for the sake of building up his church. In our small groups that meet throughout the week, if, if your small group got to lesson seven uh, recently, there was a little study on this. On how, in fact, there was some, I love the study that we went through in our small group, Lesson 7, because there were just some really practical ways to discover how God might have gifted you or wired you for the sake of building up his church. There were some examples of what that might look like. And as my small group went through that, there was a list of possibilities that we went through. And I didn't hear anybody in our group had any, any trouble identifying at least one way that they were gifted with an ability that God can use to build his church. Verse 7 says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. First, this is grace. It is an act of grace that God has wired you and gifted you with the ability to help build his church. It is unmerited and undeserved. It is not because you are so impressive. It is not because um, you have done so many great things that God has gifted you. It is an act of his grace. None of us, and when we stop and think about it, none of us really deserve to serve his kingdom. We're not worthy of being a part of what he is doing to build his eternal kingdom. It is a gift of grace. It's something that he gives because he wants to. It's something that he gives out of love towards us. It is something that he gives freely. Grace is unmerited and undeserved favor. He has, by his grace, gifted you. It is, it is an act of grace and it is a gift that is given to every believer. Gifts deserve gratitude. This, in fact, is the time of year when all of us get to show how poorly we receive gifts from other people. <laughs> Many of us just are very uncomfortable receiving gifts from other people. I mean, maybe, maybe the younger you are, I think perhaps the easier this is. I mean, I didn't have any trouble receiving gifts as a kid. Uh, but the, it seems like the older you get, the less gracious you are in receiving gifts. The, uh, and the less thankful you are. You're, oh, you shouldn't have. You didn't need to. You know, I told you not to. You know, we hear all these kinds of things thrown around at Christmas time. But there's something special that happens in a relationship when one per- person gives another person gifts. It's a way of building a relationship. It's an act of love. It should be a joyous moment, and gifts need to be received with gratitude. We ought to thank God for the gifts and the abilities that he has given to each of us. I want to challenge you to be be grateful for the act of grace that God has shown you and given you the ability to serve in his kingdom. I want to encourage you to, and we'll talk a little bit about this. I'm not going to go into great detail about how to identify those gifts, but Assuming you have the ability to identify those gifts, maybe take a moment this week and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me the ability to do this. Thank you for giving me the ability to be a part of of building your kingdom. Gifts should be received with grace. Next, Jesus decides who gets which gifts. This might be your least favorite part of the sermon today. Jesus is the one who decides who gets which gifts. 
I want to show you in verses 8 through 11 of our, our, our passage in Ephesians 4 where this is true. It says, this is kind of a, a, an interesting way of saying it, but I think you'll see why Paul says it this way when we unpack this a little bit together. In verse 8, for it says, usually in the New Testament when it says something like for it says, in your Bible oftentimes the next, the next words might be indented, they might be placed in bold lettering. Usually that's a reference to the Old Testament. And that is true in this case. For it says, means in the Old Testament, it said, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. That's the end of the quote. That comes from Psalm 68, which I want to talk about in a second. Verse 9, but what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens to fill all things. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be. And that's where I'm going to stop for now. Who himself, the one who ascended on high, the one who took the captives captive, the one who gave gifts to people, the one who ascended and descended, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who gives gifts. Paul chooses to quote Psalm 68. And anytime the New Testament authors quote Old Testament passages, if you have time, it's often very fruitful to go back and read the context that they pulled those verses from. If you read all of Psalm 68, you'll see that the point of Psalm 68 is that God is the one true king over all the universe and that he cares for his people. If you look at Psalm 68, I love the way Psalm 68 starts out. In verse 1, it paints a very vivid picture about the God that we serve, the one who gives gifts to us for the sake of building up his body. In Psalm 68, verse 1, this won't be on the screen, it says, God arises, his enemies scatter. Those who hate him flee from his presence. As smoke is blown away, so you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked are destroyed before God. Psalm 68 is a psalm about how powerful God is. It's a psalm about how securely he rules over his universe. It is a psalm that is meant to have us walk away in awe of who he is. In reverent fear of his power and of his might. He is the one true king over all the universe. There is no enemy that stands against him. In fact, when he arises, his enemies scatter. Like you blow away smoke, so the God of the universe blows away his enemies. Like wax, when it approaches a hot flame melts, so are his enemies. This is the context of the, of the verses that Paul is pulling out. When he wants to talk about who it is that gives gifts, he points us back to Psalm 68. Just because he knows the hearts of men. We have grumblings with God about how he chooses to disperse his gifts. We often are discontent with the gifts he has chosen to give us. And wish that we had a gift that somebody else had. It is the God of Psalm 68 who decides who gets which gifts. His enemies melt like wax before him. Andy and I went uh, last weekend, went to an MMA fight in Pittsburgh. And 
it was it was awesome. And uh, for some reason, we got upgraded to uh, the balcony seats. We don't know why. We just opened our tickets from Will Call. We were supposed to be down on the floor where you have to look through the cage. And we opened it up, and it said balcony. I was like, hey, dude, let's just go with this. And so we went back to Will Call. And we're like, hey, uh, we got these balcony seats. We're supposed to have, like, like lanyards and special passes. They're like, oh, well, we're sorry. And they gave us the special passes. And we went and hung out in the balcony. <laughs> and uh, we were like, thank you, Jesus. This is wonderful. And we were next to one of the families who was there to watch uh, a family member um, fight in his first fight. And it was extended family, like aunts and uncles and cousins and all that. And they were so excited. They're telling us um, how excited they are and, and, and how pumped up they are to, to see him get to fight in his first fight. And we're like, oh, that's great. Well, we'll be cheering for him, you know. And he's a local guy. And his opponent comes out and takes his shirt off. And Andy and I looked at each other like, this dude's done. We're going to cheer for him, but I'm going to pray for him, too. (laughs) Like, I mean, this guy was, it was unbelievable. It was just unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, just an impressive specimen of a man. And... (laughs) And, and I thought, boy, if, if this was my first fight, and the, and the other guy, he did okay. In, in the end, he did all right. He survived. Um, but he did not train like this dude trained. And it was a, when he took his shirt off, you're like, yeah, I don't know. If, if I saw you in the street, I'd be like, I could probably win this fight, you know. Uh, but that other guy, when you would melt before him. Your enemies flee when you look like that. The God that we serve, when, when, when we... We need to see him as he truly is. I understand we're talking about gifts and we're talking about building up the church, but I want us to just take a, a couple more seconds to think about the God that we serve. The God of Psalm 68, the one whose enemies scatter before him. He is the one who decides when somebody in power, when somebody that you revere tells you what they need you to do, Ideally, you say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and you do it with joy because they're in power. How much more should we gladly submit ourselves to the God who is the God of the universe, the one whose enemies scatter in his presence? Oh, this is what you want me to do in your church? Gladly. This is how you want me to serve in building up your kingdom? Yes, Lord. I w- thank you. Thank you for including me in your plan. Instead, we grumble and we wish that we were gifted differently. And we wish that God had, had, had chosen to gift us the way we desire to be gifted. Jesus is the one who decides who gets which gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 18, talks more in depth about this very subject. Paul says in that passage, for ju- again, this won't be on the screen, just listen as I read. For just as the, as the body is one, and this should remind you, if you were here last week, this should remind you of the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 4. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. What Paul is saying here is we often look at the gifts that we have and say, well, you know, I don't know if I even matter here. I'm just a foot, I'm not a hand. Or I'm just an ear, I'm not an eye. We, whatever, and what's interesting about those examples is they're all extremely significant. But we have, we have a tendency to think that the gift that we have or that the part that God has asked us to play maybe isn't as important, is as important as the role that God has placed somebody else in. And what Paul wants us to see here is that God has arranged each one of us, gifted us with the abilities that he wanted us to have. It is his will. It is his desire that you are wired in the way that you are. And so if that is the case, let me give you some things that I want to encourage you to do. One, I want you to discover what your gifts and your abilities are. And how you might use them for the building, building up of the church. One, become familiar with how God has gifted you. Two, then develop those gifts. Don't accept them in the raw form that they already exist. These are opportunities. You sh- if you have a strength in a certain area, you want to get stronger. The stronger you become at using your gifts and abilities for the kingdom, the stronger the kingdom becomes. We're called to develop those gifts. I... I think that God has gifted me to preach. That does not mean that I think I am the most gifted preacher by any stretch of any imagination do I think that. But I think this is what God has called me to. I think this is what he has gifted me to do. So what I want to do is I want to get better at it. I want to push myself. I want to, I want to sharpen the skills that he's given me. I want to pursue developing the gift that he has given me. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Discover what it is that God has gifted you to do, develop it, use your gifts and abilities for the building up of the church, Christ's body, and then stop comparing how God has gifted you to how he has gifted somebody else. We all do it, but we should stop. It doesn't get us anywhere. It's a lack of confidence and faith in God who is put the, the, the body together in the way that he wants it to be together. So let's let God be God. The God of Psalm 68, the God who gives gifts, he ascended on high, took captives captive, and gave gifts to people, the Bible tells us. He himself gave some to be. That's what a verse, verse 11 says. All right, next thing on the handout. God, I'm sorry, gifts... Equip us to do the ministry that will build the church. Gifts equip us to do the ministry that will build the church. I'm going to read verses 11 through 12 and then talk about it a little bit. But I want to make sure you have those blanks filled in. Gifts equip us to do the ministry that will build the church. All right, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints 
for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The gifts that are given here aren't given to serve the gifted. They're given to serve the church. The gifts aren't to serve the gifted, but so that the gifted can serve the church. The gifts that you have been given are not given to you for you to serve yourself, whatever that might look like. They are given to you so that you can use those gifts to serve the church, to build up his body. In particular, there are some gifts that are given that have this unique ministry of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. One of my, part of my role as pastor of this church is to equip you so that you, the saints are you, all believers in Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, I'm going to talk about that later and, and invite you to join us as believers in Christ. But if, if you are a believer in Christ, you are included in what Paul refers to here as the saints. That might seem confusing because you're pretty familiar with who you are. And you probably don't think of yourself as a saint. And if you do, there's probably somebody sitting next to you who does not. But this is a declaration of, this goes back to how God has justified all who have believed in Christ. Not because of our actions and not even because of our present living. But because we are in Christ, we are considered righteous and we are called saints. So, some people have the gifts of that are to be used to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Everybody is called to use their gifts for the work of the ministry. This is not how we think of church today in our, in our culture. I would be willing to bet there's at least part of you that thinks that what we're doing here today is I'm doing the work of the ministry and you're here to just enjoy it and cheer me on or whatever. What the Bible describes here is that I'm more like a coach. There, there's some breakdowns in this analogy, but, but, but follow me for a minute here because I, I, I actually am a coach. I coach a hockey team, and my responsibility as the coach of a hockey team is to equip the players to play the game. My, my responsibility is not to go out and play, and that's where this breaks down because in the context of the church, I'm also a player. I'm a coach player, but, but you all are thinking that, and sometimes in the church, not in, not in our context, thank God, if Redemption Church ever turns into this, I'll have serious problems, but in a lot of church contexts, you all are the coaches, and I'm the one player, You've probably been to a church like that, where everybody gets together at, on Sunday after church to talk about how the pastor could do better or how somebody else could do better. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes that there are some who are called apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. I am to help you Discover, develop, use your gifts for the work of ministry. You're the players on the team. Now, I, I step down and I join you. But if you think that coming together on Sunday morning is your role here is I'm a spectator and I'm going to hear him talk about how he's playing the game. Too much of our church culture has become that. And I think pastors, are, pastors might, 
you know, we're just like everybody else. We've got egos and, and, and we, we like to be put up on a pedestal and we're just like every, everybody else in that. Sometimes maybe we feed into that. We want you to be impressed with how we're playing the game. But there comes a point in time when which that becomes very counterproductive. Because I have 24 hours in a day and I have limited energy and resources for doing the part that God has called me to do. And so if we limit our ministry as a church to what I am able to do, that's what we get. And we're going to find that we're bottlenecking very quickly. Whereas if we reverse that and we say, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there's 60 to 70 people in this room who all have 24 hours in a day and say, well, what if we all get involved? What if we all take on the task of being involved in the work of ministry? That's exactly what the Bible is telling us to do here. That we are all workers in the ministry. And so gifts equip us to do the ministry that will build the church. Important part to understand here. Let's keep moving. The next thing is that the outcome that Jesus has in mind is the unity and maturity of every believer. That's where we're trying to get to. The unity and maturity of every believer. At the very beginning, I gave you my main point, which was that Jesus gives gifts to his people so that we will all grow into maturity as part of his body. That's the goal, that we all grow into maturity. Who's all, all of us who he's calling to be a part, everyone who responds to the gospel, that's the all. It's not, the one, it's not just a certain percentage of us that decide to take this super serious. It's everybody who calls on the name of Jesus. You are called to, to unity and maturity. That's the outcome that Jesus has in mind. The reason that he gifts us to build up the body is so that we will all come to, together to be unified and mature in Christ. Verse 13 says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Man, that's good stuff. Until we all reach. When's the job done? When we're all mature in Christ. When's that going to be? It's not going to happen in our lifetime. (laughs) We've always got the work of the ministry to do. The goal is that we keep progressing. The goal is that we look around and we see each other and we say, He's growing, she's growing, we're growing, we're growing in maturity. That's what this should look like. The outcome that Jesus has in mind is the unity and maturity of every believer. Last week we talked about what it means to be in unity. Unity is not uniformity. It does not mean we are all the same, that we all look the same, act the same, think the same. Unity means that we are unified in the purpose and mission of what we are doing. We need to think differently from each other. We need to challenge each other with different ideas and different ways of seeing things in order to accomplish the purpose and mission that God has given us. We need to even, I think it's great that we have a diversity of churches in the communities that we're trying to reach. I don't want all churches to look the same. We need different churches to reach different folks. And we need different people in each church to do different things. That's what unity is. It's not that we all look alike, talk alike, and think alike. It's that we have the same purpose and we have the same mission in mind. And that's the mission that God has given us of reaching the lost and building the church. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What does maturity look like? Again, back to the book that we're going through in small groups. There's three elements to being mature in Christ. There's head, heart, and hands. Maturity in terms of our head is that we need to know enough of the right stuff. There's knowledge involved in growing as a mature disciple of Christ. There's things you need to know. You need, you need to, to grow, uh, I don't want to use the word academically, but you need to grow in your understanding and your knowledge of Scripture and of who God is and what He's like and, and how He describes us and what He calls us to do. That's, that's head stuff. That's knowledge. Disciples are learners, Disciples of Christ are people who are willing to stretch themselves to learn more. So there's the head aspect. But also, it's not enough to just have that all in your head, is it? You probably know some Christians who think they're super mature because they got all kinds of stuff in their head. But if it stays in your head and it never goes to your heart, and it doesn't change your attitude, and it doesn't change the way you view yourself, the way you view God, and the way you view the people around you, you're not mature in Christ. Head knowledge is not enough to get us to maturity. You can't get there without it, though. You need it. But you need to have maturity of your heart. And maturity of your heart happens when all the stuff that you are learning and growing to understand from the Bible starts to affect the way you feel and the way you act towards others. Earlier in, in um, Ephesians 4, he lists some of those things. One of them was humility. Christians who are growing in maturity are always growing in humility. It is uh, oxymoronic to think that you can be mature in Christ and prideful in heart. The more we grow to know about Jesus and the more we grow to know about ourselves, the more humility comes into our lives. That's the process of what's coming into your head, moving into your heart. And you start to treat other, the people around you differently because you view them differently, because you've been informed by what the Bible says. As we grow in maturity, our head is part of that, our heart is part of that, and then also our hands. Because if you've got the information in your head and now you have the attitude of heart, but you don't do anything with it, you don't take action on what God has taught you and how he has, has shaped your heart for the gospel, then until you're actually living it out and putting it into practice, you're not growing in maturity. So that's what maturity looks like. We got the right information, our hearts are shaped by it, and now we're acting on it. We're living it out, we're doing the right things. The signs of this actually happening are described in the next couple of verses. In verses 14, just verses 14 and 15, it says, Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Excuse me a second. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. When, when we begin to reach maturity, the evidence of that will be that we are no longer little children who are tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Immature Christians get 
knocked all around. Immature Christians are tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. They're, they're, they hear this and they're confused by it. They hear that and they're, and they're not sure what to do with this. And they're, they're, what the Bible says here, these are the techniques of deceit. Mature Christians, the wind can blow and the waves can crash. And they say, you know what, this is going to pass. That's what it means to be mature, to be able to withstand the waves and the wind. Specifically here, he mentions the waves and the wind of false teaching, of deception, of being led astray. There are, there are, even, there are even teachers who, in the name of Christianity, are leading people all over the place, letting them be tossed around by the wind and the waves. But as we reach maturity, one of the signs of being mature in Christ is that we won't be tossed, our hearts won't be all over the place, they'll be steady. We'll know who God is because he's revealed himself in his word and we've taken the time to dig in and to learn and to grow. And our hearts will be confident in him and will carry on doing the work of our hands as we follow in him. That's what maturity will look like. And that's what, he, that's what Jesus has in mind. That's the outcome that he has in mind. That we're unified in our purpose and mission. We're all here for the same thing. That's to build up the church by reaching the lost and helping each other grow in maturity. That we'll be, have that unity and we ourselves will grow to become mature believers. Alright. Last thing on the map. But we're, i got a few more things that we're going to talk about. So don't get too excited here. To accomplish this, every member must do the part Jesus has gifted them to do. Okay, to accomplish all of this, for us to be unified in purpose and mission, for us to be growing into maturity as believers, to accomplish this, every member must do the part Jesus has gifted them to do. Let me read the rest of our passage here, just verse 16. And then I want to give you a quick illustration of this. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. Every part is important. Isn't that interesting that Paul uses that language? He, he, he knows the importance of even the seemingly small, invisible, unknown parts of the body working together. <coughs> Excuse me. Promotes the growth. The whole body working together promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. We need all of us together individually working together. All of us collectively and each of us individually is how this is going to happen. In order to accomplish what God has in mind here in Ephesians 4, it takes every member doing the part that Jesus has gifted them to do. So what happens when one or more parts are not doing their part? Well, what happens with your body when one or more parts are not doing their part. You ever had a bad knee? What happens when you have a bad knee? It's all you think about, right? It doesn't matter that you have a good knee. It doesn't matter that you have good feet, that you have good hips, that you have good hands, that you have good organs, that you have good eyes. and good. It really doesn't matter. You are, you are de- debilitated by the part that isn't working. 
We all can, can relate to that because we've all experienced it. You ever smash your, your pinky finger or stub your pinky toe? What's the problem? 99% of your body is working fine. Why are you so worried about that one little part? It's the same way with the body of Christ. We all need to do our part. That's what he calls us to do. Each individual member doing the part that Jesus has gifted them to do. We've had some car trouble lately with my wife's vehicle. Most recently, the exhaust started leaking. You ever drive a vehicle where the exhaust is leaking? It's humiliating. It's, it's absolute. The car otherwise was working fairly well, but when the exhaust is leaking, there's a big problem. The body of Christ too many times is, is not working together the way that God has created us to. But when every individual part does whatever, whatever part God has chosen for them to do, whether it's the part that gets all of the attention that everybody is aware of or whether it's a part that nobody even knows needs done, that's when the body of Christ works the way it's supposed to. That's when the church is going to grow in unity and maturity. So do your part. Do your part. You don't have to do my part. You don't have to do the person beside you's part. You need to do your part. What is your part? Yeah, that's, that's something that may take some prayerful exploration. You, you might need some help in discovering what that is. And in the meantime, if you are trying to figure out what that is, I've got some suggestions I could make. I've got some things that, that if, hey, if nothing else, if, if you don't know what else to do, there are some things that, that we could have you do. Namely, we could, we could use some more folks on setup and teardown each and every week. We got up this morning and went to uh, get the U-Haul truck that we used to get here, and the little lockbox that um, lets us have the key didn't want to let us have the key. And I went over to the team, I'm like, we got a problem, we don't have a truck. And they all just started working. Everybody got every little thing in their vehicles that they could, and we, it took us a couple trips, it took us a little bit longer, but they did their part, and they were working. Right now in our kids' ministry, there's people doing their part. They're not worried about doing my part, they're not worried about doing your part, they're doing their part. So do your part. All right. I want to add a couple of things to this. I want to talk about, because so, we've got into this idea of what it means to grow in maturity. In addition to challenging you to do your part, I want to talk about how it is that we're going to grow into maturity. Head, heart, and hands all, are all part of the process of how we, as individual members of Christ, are going to grow into maturity. So give me a couple of minutes. There's a slide I want to put up um, behind me on the screen that's going to show you some things that, that I want to explain. Okay, so let me get out of the way. So this right here is a very crude diagram of the process of growing in maturity in Christ. We all start out in the same place. In fact, let me read Colossians 1.13. It says that he, meaning Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And so we all start out on the same side of this diagram. 
But as we, as we grow in Christ, we move across here. And the goal over here is as primitive as this is. This is Jesus and this is us before him growing and maturing in Christ. The goal is maturity in Christ. And so there's a process that is not always linear, but somewhat predictable in the stages and what needs to be done along the way. And so what you see here on the bottom is that we all start out far away from Christ. We come in contact with the gospel and we're talking and, and, and the, that seed that's planted begins to sprout. And we become a new believer. There's a moment in time when if you receive Jesus Christ, if you believe in the gospel, you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. But that doesn't mean you're done. That's just the beginning of your growth as a Christian. By the way, side note, it says, it says new Christian there in the middle. This is the time of year um, when some of you are going to get a little bit anxious because sometimes uh, in the word Christmas, the word Christ is replaced with an X. I, I might be able to put you at ease. Maybe not. It's okay if I don't put you at ease. Um, that's actually something that's been done for hundreds of years that's basically just shorthand. That X is the, the Greek letter chi, which is the first letter in the word Christ. And so it's just shorthand. It's not, I'm not saying nobody ever does that to take Christ out of Christmas, um, but I do that. And In fact, uh, the, one time uh, there was something... There was, there was a box of stuff that we had, and, and I had marked it Xmas or something like that. And there was, a, there was a young boy in our church that was, he was pretty worked up. He was kind of upset that I had taken Christ out of Christmas. So I explained this to him, and I say that just in case anybody gets anxious. You're like, I, first of all, I didn't make this, but if you're like, why did they take Christ out of this whole thing that's supposed to be about? They didn't. It's just shorthand, okay? Um, so you become a new Christian. And then you grow and you grow through struggles and you receive training and the goal is that we become mature in Christ. So go to the next slide as a church. I just want you to see how I think about this and how we try to apply this as a church. So uh, what you need wherever you're at on that diagram is over there, those people need to be engaged. That's the people who are out in our community who aren't sitting in a church today, who aren't hearing the gospel of Jesus preached, who are, they're just living lives apart from Christ. We need to engage them. Jesus actually calls us to go out to them and to reach them where they're at. And even to, it's okay to, it's okay, it's appropriate, and it's very beneficial to invite them in here, but first we must go to where they're at, engage them, invite them in here. So we call that outreach here. When we say we're going to do an outreach, we're going, to, uh, we're going to plan some outreaches next year. We're talking about going out and engaging people who are not yet believers, who are apart from Christ. We just want to connect with them. We want to build a relationship with them. We want them to know we're here. We want them to be invited. We want to offer to help them with things in their lives. That's engagement. And then, but we can't stop with just engagement. We actually have to evangelize. Evangelize is making clear the gospel message making clear what it means to believe in Jesus. And we do that through personal evangelism, and then we do that through corporate evangelism right here on Sunday mornings, Christmas Eve, whatever services we have where we're presenting the gospel. And then as they become new believers, Christians need to be established. New believers, think of a seed that has sprouted, often very fragile at first, 
In fact, that Jesus told a parable about some seeds that would sprout and how many of them would not survive. And so the goal with new believers is to establish them in the faith that they have accepted. So we do that again on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we do that through small groups. That's a great opportunity for us to establish new believers to help them to get rooted in the gospel. And then in the near future, we'll be actually... Um, putting together a membership class that will go over some of the basics that we want people to know about what it means to now live their lives as a Christian. On, the, on this point, on establishing, uh, over the summer, our launch team went through some resources that I want to make you aware of that we have available today at um, the welcome table. There were a couple of books that we went through. One was a real short pamphlet-sized book called Gospel Primer. If you just, wanna, if you just want to enjoy the gospel... Or if you not, aren't quite sure what the gospel is, Gospel Primer is a fantastic book. It's very short, and it's, it's a great read. And it's not just for people who are new to the gospel. Um, some of the most mature believers in our group over the summer enjoyed that the most. It's a fantastic little pamphlet. Um, 30 Days to Understand the Bible is one we don't have any more of out there. But if you just are intimidated by the Bible, you're not sure where to start, you're not sure how this all fits together, that's a great book that will help you understand the Bible in 30 days. Uh, and then there's two books that are out there. I Will, and that's a great book for uh, people who just want to know what are the hands pieces of Christianity? What do I do? Like, how do I actually put this into practice? Uh, and then I Am Going is a book that connects all those things together to talk about what God is doing globally and how we can be involved in missions. And so those are some resources that I just want to point out to you real quickly. I'm almost done with this, okay? Uh, and then the last stage is to equip. And again, we do this through small groups. We do this through leadership training and develop, uh, development. This is where we're trying to help people take the, the use of the gifts that God has given them to a next level to really become effective uh, in, in kingdom service and work. And so all of this, when, I don't want to talk about we need to grow in maturity with, without telling you how we plan on doing that. This is our plan, okay? It's simple, and, and, and um, there will be pieces that we add to that as we grow as a church. But right now, we work really hard not to become a church that's kind of having an identity crisis and we're trying everything. Like, we're going to do a million different things because, you know, everybody has a different idea for a ministry. We're trying to be laser-focused. And so we emphasize Sunday mornings. We emphasize our weekly small groups. We're going on mission trips. That's ex an extremely intentional step that we're taking. And we're saying, let's focus on these things. We want to do outreach into our community. And we're trying to hamstring everything else. There are a hundred other things that we could do. Um, but we're going to stay focused on these things. And then as we grow, there will be more opportunity uh, for some of those other peripheral things. But for now, we want to move people from engaged to equipped. We want to help people become mature followers in Christ. And so, let me ask the worship team to come up and get ready to lead us in worship. As we do that, as we do that behind me, you've got a part to play. Every last one of us has a part to play. God has called you to do something. I don't know what it is. I may not... I may not be able to answer that for you today. I would certainly be willing to help you discover what that is. But whatever that is, do your part. Just do the thing that God has 
gifted you to do. Do the, uh, the things that he has given you the ability to do. Whatever that is. If it's helping in kids' ministry, if, it's, if, it's, if, if you're somebody who's just skilled in the kitchen, you want to bake and you want to cook, find ways to do that to build up the body of Christ. If you're a friendly, outgoing person, join our greeting team. Find ways to serve whatever unique giftings that you have, uh, that God, the way that God has wired you. Use that to build the church. Do your part. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. First and foremost, that you have rescued us, as, as Colossians 1.13 says. You've rescued us from the domain of darkness. God, I remember living there. I remember what it was like before I had hope in you. I thank you for rescuing us from that. But you didn't just take us out of the darkness, you transferred us, the Bible tells us, into the kingdom of the son you love. We belong to Jesus now. We've been taken from darkness into light. We've been taken from fear into hope. We've been taken from the weight and the shame and the guilt and the penalty of our sins into the inexhaustible mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God, if there's anybody here today who hasn't experienced that yet, would you call their hearts to Jesus right now? Would you bring them to our family so that we could call them brother or sister so that you could call them son or daughter and together we will grow in unity and maturity in Christ until one day we all stand before the throne gathered together your people whom you've rescued from the jaws of death and given us eternal life Until that day, may we do our part. May we be diligent to discover, and to develop, and to use whatever gifts and abilities you've given us. So that together we would build your body, the church, not comparing our gifting to each other's, but grateful and content to do what you've called us to do. These things we ask for in Jesus' name.